Algeciras podcast. The Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. is in China. He wants to improve economic and political ties with Beijing. And China is hoping to woo him away from Washington. So what's at stake in this trip? I'm Laura Kyle and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests now. And in Beijing, Andy Mok, Senior Research Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. In Manila, Marita Zvitug, editor-at-large with the news website Rappler and author of Rock Solid, How the Philippines Won Its Maritime Case Against China. And in Kuala Lumpur, Isan Oh, Senior Director of, at the Singapore Institute of International Affairs. A very warm welcome to all of you. Andy, let's start with you, because she has just recently told Marcos in Beijing that China is ready to resume oil and gas talks and handle maritime issues in a, quote, friendly and consultative manner. Does that mean that for China, a line has been drawn under this issue and it's not a problem anymore? Well, I think clearly, as in so many complex issues, Laura, uh, the devil is in the details. Mm. That being said, I think both sides are very ready to take this bilateral relationship to the next level. Uh, As President Marcos has said, he wants to uh, go to a higher gear. The Chinese side see this as hopefully ushering in a golden era of China-Philippines relations. And of course, I think ideally any outstanding issues, uh, any uh, areas that need to be further clarified should be worked out as a part of that. So, Marita, how does Marcos want to take the relationship to the next level? How does it want to deal with this dispute? I think Marcos is really trying to balance the relations of the Philippines uh, between China and and the U.S. Because this is a pendulum uh, pendulum swung when former President Duterte was in office for the past six years when he pivoted completely to China. Now with Marcos, he's trying to reach out to both China and the U.S. And he has already said, um, has given strong statements saying that the Philippines will not cede any, will not give up an inch of its territory uh, refer, within, without naming China. But that was his strong message in July when he assumed the presidency. So I think he's just trying to balance the relations between the two uh, powers. Isan Oh, how difficult a line is this for Marcos to tread between repelling territorial, unwanted territorial claims by China in the South China Sea, but also wanting Chinese investment? Well, of course, uh, just like uh, what was said just now, namely, uh, Marcos was trying to balance between the United States and Mm. uh, China. He is also at the same time trying to balance, on the one hand, this sort of territorial dispute with China on the South China Sea, or as the Filipinos would call it, uh, West Philippine Seas on the one hand, and on the other hand, trying to attract as much uh, Chinese investment into the Philippines and, uh, in a sense, uh, enlarge uh, the Philippines' uh, trade with China as uh, possible. So, indeed, it is a very uh, delicate uh, balance, and I think this is uh, the same sort of dilemma which uh, a number of uh, literal Southeast uh, Asia 
nations are facing nowadays. On the one hand, they have territorial disputes with China. On the other hand, uh, of course, they welcome Chinese investments and trade. Yeah. So, Andy, when, when Xi, President Xi says that he wants to handle these maritime issues in a friendly and consultative manner, what does that mean? Because right now we've got a situation in the South China Sea where we've got Chinese boats harassing fishermen that are not Chinese, whether it's Philippines or Vietnamese or even Malaysian. We've also got Chinese Coast Guard preventing the Philippines bringing supplies to a ship, which I hope we'll talk about a little bit more later. So what is it suggesting that's going to change its tone, talking about the South China Sea? I think it exactly is uh, the root cause that these uh, issues are in dispute that leads to these uh, misunderstandings and uh, misperceptions as well uh, that are being exacerbated uh, by external parties looking to drive a wedge between uh, China-Philippine relations. Which so external I think, parties do you mean, uh, there, Andy? Well, certainly uh, Western media, I think, is, is one. Uh, I think other countries uh, like the United States. Uh, however, I do think uh, that the opportunity for the Philippines here, uh, I believe uh, President Marcos uh, phrased it as uh, friend to all, enemy to none, mm. uh, in that it is not a binary choice choosing between the U.S. or China. And I think even China has uh, repeatedly says that it does not see the world in these Cold War binary Manichean terms, uh, that it's complex. Uh, sure. The devil's in the details, and okay. Well, uh, let's let's dig into those details a little bit more, Maritas. When Andy says that the Western media is one external factor that's looking to drive a wedge between the Philippines and China, do you agree with that? No, I don't think so. Because uh, in in twenty eighteen, in twenty sixteen, rather, the Philippines already won in an international arbitral tribunal. It was very clear that uh, um, the case when decided by the International Tribunal in the South China Sea, that China's nine-dash line claim had no historical nor legal basis. So I think that's a starting point, but which China refuses to recognize. And they've repeatedly said they will not recognize this international decision. In the meantime, you know, the Philippines and China during Duterte's six-year rule have arrived at certain verbal agreements to allow Filipinos to fish in Scarborough Shoal, which is actually part of the Philippines' exclusive economic zone, and also not to build uh, or reclaim on unoccupied islands. There's, there's some agreements already have been made. I think the big test for Marcos really is in the oil and gas exploration, because that's where the Philippines will face a crisis, energy crisis, in the next three to five years. And the Philippines will need to survey and and drill, rather, for oil and gas in Reed Bank, which is a contested area. It's mm. part of the Philippines' economic zone, but China is uh, disputing it. Okay, so Isano, that is a key uh, issue in this energy crisis that the whole world is facing. Do you think the Philippines is going to be able to dig, to explore for new oil and gas in this contested area? Well, typically, the, in Southeast Asian countries, when we talk about explorations, 
of uh, oil and gas, typically we will do it in conjunction with a number of uh, very established uh, oil and gas uh, conglomerates uh, in the world, the Shells, the ConocoPhillips, uh, and so on. So when, uh, well, when other countries uh, try to do so, for example, Malaysia and uh, Vietnam try to do so, China, of course, uh, was not very happy, and typically they would uh, interfere. So it remains to be seen uh, to what extent after this uh, visit by Marcos Jr., would uh, China still interfere with uh, Philippines' uh, oil and gas uh, exploration? Or, on the other hand, would uh, some sort of deal be made between China and the Philippines such that it would be the Chinese uh, conglomerate, uh, oil and gas conglomerate, which would uh, do those uh, collaboration with uh, their Filipino counterparts in uh, exploring the oil and gas. I would be very interested to see whether such a precedent would be made. Mm. Maritas, would, would the Philippines accept that, a Chinese conglomerate uh, sort of leading the way? You know, the, there have been negotiations for many years and they've reached a dead end. Because according to the Philippine constitution, uh, if the Philippines partners with a Chinese state-owned enterprise or a Chinese company, this Chinese company will have to acknowledge Philippine sovereign rights Mm. over Reed Bank, the oil and gas resources there. And so this reached a dead end because uh, in 20, in the last year of Duterte's uh, rule, the, uh, China refused to sign the proposed oil and gas development with the Philippines because of that precise provision wherein they would acknowledge Philippine sovereign rights over the area. So that's a dead end. So I, I don't know how... Uh, Marcos will proceed. I don't know if there's a new uh, way, but Malaysia and Indonesia were able to drill in contested areas using uh, even this Malaysia sent, Malaysia through Petrona sent its Navy, I think, and Coast Guard. Same with Indonesia in the Tuna Islands. So Malaysia and Indonesia were able to do this without China as a partner. Mm. So, Andy, do you think that she is ready to also allow the Philippines to do this without China as a partner? Well, I think we have to see. So this, at its heart, is a diplomatic dilemma that can only be solved with diplomatic uh, ingenuity and creativity. So we've seen this kind of uh, ingenuity and creativity before. Look at the cornerstone of the China-U.S. relationship, where there was uh, a disagreement on Taiwan, yet a formulation was found uh, to let the relationship move forward. So, um, again, we can see it as a, uh, a dilemma, uh, but hopefully a creative breakthrough uh, can be achieved, letting both sides uh, derive benefit from this situation. Andy, I'm interested to know why it is that since the 2016 ruling by the UN-backed tribunal in The Hague, um, China has not changed its behaviour in the South China Sea. The UN-backed ruling declared that China's interests there were invalid, and yet it continues to build on islands, it continues to post its ships there. So why does it not respect this ruling? Well, Laura, I think um, we all know that uh, countries have various reasons for dis 
uh, agreeing or not accepting uh, these multilateral rulings. Uh, the WTO is, is a great example of that. So I think, again, the devil is in the details. Um, we have to see what will happen from here. Uh, but of course, I think it's clear that uh, for China uh, has its reasons for saying that, look, we don't think uh, this is an appropriate ruling that we're not ready to abide by. Now, I don't know what the future will hold. Uh, but again, I think the most practical solution is a diplomatic one. Uh, Maritas, you wrote a book uh, saying how the Philippines won its maritime case against China, and yet it hasn't been able to move forward. It hasn't been able to take action with that win. Why not? The Philippines was able to, well, during the last six years of Duterte, he did not use the victory of the Philippines as a leverage to negotiate with China. So he sort of set it aside. In fact, he called it um, like a trash, a piece of trash, who, you know, it belongs to the bin because mm. he was really wooing China's investments and aid uh, to the Philippines. Now let's see with President Marcos if uh, he has said that the arbitral ruling is one of the pillars of the Philippines' foreign policy. So let's see if how far he's willing to assert this arbitral victory and how far he's willing to, uh, you know, negotiate or displease China when it comes to oil and gas, because that's a very sensitive area and that's going to be his biggest test, I think, in, in our relations with China. Isano, uh, oil and gas is one main part of this uh, fight over the South China Sea. Another one is fishing, very rich fishing grounds. Also, huge uh, amount of, fish, of shipping goes through it. How dangerous is it to navigate these waters amid all these contesting claims? Well, uh, at the moment, uh, you will see South China Sea has been uh, the centre of one of the busiest, uh, shall we say, uh, concentration of uh, shipping routes in the world. So far, of course, because most of those ships are destined for Chinese ports, of course, uh, the Chinese uh, would not uh, interfere with uh, them. Uh, but, of course, uh, a lot of other countries, uh, for example, the United States and, and so on, if those ships were destined for eventually the United States and, uh, let's say, Canada and so on, and if the United States uh, are not in good terms with China, of course, then they are worried about uh, these uh, permanent fixtures of China in sub-China seas and they are armed to the teeth. Uh, whether that would, uh, in a sense, uh, hinder the uh, shipping, which are ultimately destined for the United States. And Andy, we saw the, the US Vice President Kamala Harris uh, visit the Philippines in November. She went to an island called Palawan, Palawan, which is next to the contested Spratly Islands. How provocative was that for Beijing? Well, I think certainly we've seen... Uh, an increase in the level of provocation uh, escalations by the United States. So I think overall, compared to, say, Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, uh, other provocations, uh, I don't wouldn't put it in that category. But certainly, uh, I think it does does add to increasing tensions in the region. And of course, you know, I think the big issue is uh, EDCA or the uh, 
extended defense cooperation agreement and what happens, which is, of course, related uh, to Vice President uh, Harris's visit. So uh, clearly, this is a complex relationship. I think uh, there's a lot of moving parts, uh, and uh, certainly this uh, the U.S. Uh, words and deeds are, are, are an important part of this. Mm. I wanted uh, Marita to, to bring up the Sierra Madre. I found this a fascinating story of a naval ship that the Philippines purposefully ran aground in this area back in 1999 to lay claim to a reef. Are soldiers still on it? And if it's attacked, because it's still in commission, you could theoretically call on the U.S., to protect it? Actually, that's one of the discussion points now here in, in the Philippines is when the U.S., the Philippines has a mutual defense treaty with the U.S., and the U.S. has already said that uh, in case of uh, you know, tension in South China Sea, where in the Philippines is uh, harmed, they will come to the aid of the Philippines. That has been made clear during President Biden's time and during President Trump's time. So, but the Philippines, of course, wants to avoid any conflict in the West Philippine Sea, which is our part of the South China Sea. That's why um, the Philippine Navy continues to resupply to, to share a mother despite uh, the status of the ship. It continues to resupply, but China doesn't want the Philippines to send construction materials. That is one of their red lines. So the Philippines is only able to supply food and, and water, uh, but not construction materials. So again, I don't know how long this will last and what new arrangement can Marcos come up in his talks uh, with China. Mm. There are a number of flashpoints here, aren't there, Isan O? Oh, I wonder how they will play out, given the new sort of relationship that Marcos and Xi are hoping to, to build. Well, the Marcos family, of course, has a long-running, uh, very cordial relationship with China. I recall seeing videos of uh, Imelda Marcos uh, singing the various uh, Chinese patriotic songs and so on. And uh, nowadays, of course, uh, a lot of Southeast Asian countries, the Philippines included, and Malaysia as well, we are not exactly in the best of economic shapes. And uh, unfortunately, the United States and many other Western countries are not in a position or are unwilling to, uh, to uh, invest and trade more with us. In fact, the United States, uh, for example, uh, calling upon its uh, even existing uh, investors overseas to sort of relocate back to the United States. And that, uh, of course, um, you know, it, uh, it, it's, it put us in very difficult position. On the one hand, a number of Southeast Asian countries who perhaps uh, welcome some of this uh, U.S. Uh, freedom of navigation, uh, patrols and so on over some parts of sub-China Sea. Uh, on the other hand, of course, that would antagonize uh, China. But uh, uh, the United States uh, is not investing more in the region. Mm. So these countries will need to uh, sort of pivot towards China in terms of trade and investment. Yeah. Very interesting relationship to keep an eye on indeed. Thank you very much to all our guests for joining us today. Andy Mock, Marita Zvitug and Easton Oh.
This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Barbara Angopa, Fungi Nguyen and Jimmy Gettahan. Studio sound was by Renjith Kurian. The programme was edited by Anubar Sarkar, Lynn Nguyen and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Thursday for our next episode.